Welcome to Scream Quest, a horror podcast from your host at Scream Quest, where we'll be doing a series of double features throughout the month celebrating the diversity that is the horror genre. I'm one of your hosts, Chris Waterman, joined by May Finch. Hello, hello. Will Rotondi. Hey, how's it going, guys? And last but certainly not least, we have back again, very special guest, Isaac Thorne, one of our favorites. Welcome back, Isaac. Thank you very much. Happy to be here. Oh, so thrilled to have you back. How you been keeping? I've been keeping well. I'm I'm working on a, a new book. I can't remember if Hellspring was out the last time I was here. I, I think it was. It was. So I'm... Uh, yeah, I'm working on the follow up to that, and and uh, Hell Spring is is a year old now, and is just about to go back on a a virtual book tour uh, this month. So uh, so yeah, doing okay. Awesome. Uh, I don't know how much you're ready to talk about from the new book, but I'm I'm looking forward to that. You sufficiently traumatized me with Hell Spring, um, as we talked <laughs> about last year on the podcast. I loved it. Thought it was fantastic. Um, what can you tell us, if anything, about the new book? Are you ready to let any details out? Mm, the the only thing I'm I'm willing to to mention right now is that it um, so far is mostly taking place in the summer of 2010. Same small town. Um, there are uh, at least a couple of characters from previous novels who who uh, reappear. Um, not as main characters, but, uh, but as, uh, um, acquaintances of the protagonist. Um, but that's about all I want to say, say about it at this point. Fantastic. Uh, I do plan on reading, uh, the Gordon place. Is it the Gordon mm-hmm. place or Gordon place? Uh, that's your the, first novel, right? That correct. Yeah. It's the Gordon place. They, the Gordon uh, yeah, place. That, Got it. That one is, uh, um, I released that in 2019, I believe. That's on the list for I, I think I might actually download it on the Kindle for the plane ride, uh, which I'm taking tomorrow um, for spooky season because awesome. I enjoyed Hellspring. So I'll, I'll let you know um, what I think, but I'm excited to hear that it's connected. Um, this new one is going to be connected the same way that Hellspring and Gordon Place were a little bit. It's cool. On um, on today's episode, we are going to be talking about a pair of possession films. Uh, first up, we watch The Pope's Exorcist starring Russell Crowe. And then uh, I guess indie and award show darling, not award show. What's the word I'm looking for? Uh, Festival darling. Talk to Mm. me, which uh, was very, very interesting. Uh, So let's dive right in with initial impressions. You can do both films. And then I want to kind of like talk about these as very different representations of the possession subgenre and horror, which I think is... um, quite popular right now a little bit of a resurgence back when i think the conjuring came out in what like 2011 2012 somewhere around there and uh seems to be a lot of a lot of these films so uh since you're our guest isaac um we'll start with you awesome yeah i um i watched the pope's exorcist first a few days ago and and my primary reaction to it 
on social media afterward was holy crow c-r-o-w-e um <laughs> because he does just an incredible job at his portrayal of that um that uh you know high position catholic priest with trauma that he he covers tries to cover up with a, a sense of humor and it just i i think i said that it's i i went in kind of expecting it to be a um a freaking blatty clone sort of and in in the beginning i was afraid that that opinion was uh, or that expectation was being confirmed but then it it turns into this kind of freaking spielbergian you know combination of of things when um uh i i guess about midway through when uh when when uh crow's character starts putting the puzzle pieces together to to figure out what's going on in this house um but i loved that movie i i thought it was uh an incredibly fresh take on possession from the religious catholic perspective talk to me was was probably the best way you could present a modern possession movie um it's young people um you know doing this this video trend where they get possessed by spirits and obviously of course something uh um, eventually goes wrong the, the situation gets too hot but i i wasn't sure what to expect with that i i knew it was getting very very high praise and um i i, I really enjoyed it it was a brutal movie it, there's a lot of grief um uh i mean grief is the the primary plot element in there and i i just i thought it was amazing I, it shocked me uh in a number of ways and that's not really easy to do wow high praise um amazing um will i'm just gonna go right up here vertically uh on the screen from how i see it so you're next buddy give me your initial impressions for both of these sure uh so the Pope's Exorcist. I agree with Isaac. Um, if anything, it, like if you don't go to see it for anything else, go to see it for Russell Crowe because he pretty much his character is hilarious and also uh, just fun to watch. Like even if you don't really get that much into the horror aspect of it, I think you could still enjoy it for that. Um, I like how they tried to do uh, some. Yeah, I guess homages back to the original Exorcist with a couple of little details here and there that made it feel like it was sort of in the same realm, um, but also took a different path with a lot of the material that was there too. Uh, I will say that toward the end of it, I started to feel a little bit like it was channeling that old Brendan Fraser mummy movie, <laughs> especially when people would like shout and then their mouth would like elongate uh, from being possessed. Uh, but besides that, 
Um, I think the only other thing that really stood out to me too was how I kind of felt like they were teasing me, like there was going to be a sequel or like an expanded universe where they're like, we've taken care of one of these spaces, but there's 199 more out there. And I'm like, are we assembling a team? Is this going somewhere? And then it just cuts to like the epilogue and basically like um, just a plug for Father Amorth's books, <laughs> which I was totally okay with too. I, as for Talk to Me, I really enjoyed that film. Like, I I agree as well with, like, the praise that it's been getting, that it was... I enjoyed it for the practical effects. I enjoyed it for, like, the... the Just how, how much terror slowly builds throughout the film. Um, it's creepy. It's got a lot of head trauma. <laughs> I was pleasantly surprised that it was not as predictable as I thought it was going to as some horror films could be. And there were moments that genuinely like I felt stressed out by it. I did not expect that to happen. So um, also, I think overall, the message behind the film, besides trying to find positive ways to channel your grief, is also do not engage in the latest TikTok challenge. But here we are. <laughs> and there wouldn't be a plot. So. But yeah, I liked both. But ultimately, if I had to choose like off the bat, one of the two, I like Talk to Me more. So, but I'm excited to talk about these and also May to hear about what you thought. So similar feelings about The Pope's Exorcist. Uh, Russell Crowe carried that film all the way through. Uh, I do genuinely enjoy the way he plays Father Amort because when you have a very kind of old, know-it-all, kind of gruff character in a position of power, that can come off as kind of just not not very entertaining, at least to me. Um, but he made it like self-aware enough that I ended up loving Amorth. And um, I feel like I was very invested emotionally for the first maybe hour because I thought that the family coming in was interesting and that um, I was getting a little bit more than I was kind of expecting to from an Exorcist sequel. And then it just turns into uh, National Treasure of the Vatican, which I wasn't expecting. <laughs> and that was great, too. But um, yeah, I think, Isaac, you said it got very Spielberg, and I'd have to agree with that 100%. Uh, just a complete tone shift. It was entertaining, and I think it kept uh, the movie more engaging than it would have been otherwise. But it was not, not something I saw coming. And then um, I laughed at that final scene as well when they're like there's 199 more of these <laughs> <laughs> we're trying to set up for a sequel um i also had uh, a bit of a cringe moment when they were trying to explain away the spanish inquisition as <laughs> oh that was the devil that wasn't the yeah. catholic church <laughs> well admitting i yelled that propaganda catholic... i was like propaganda <laughs> propaganda <laughs> <Catholic> <laughs> propaganda <laughs> And it was especially funny because like they, they had that whole like side narrative, but also admitted that um I'm like on you know, the name of the girl that haunts him, but the girl that died, they they admit that she had been like abused by the Catholic Church and stuff like that. It's like, okay, so I, I, I don't know. Maybe that was the devil too in this universe. Um so yeah, bit bit too much propaganda, but otherwise an enjoyable film uh, that was not going where I expected it to. Talk to me. I will echo everyone else in saying that it was fantastic. I loved it. Probably the best horror movie I've seen in, in the last year or two, at least. 
probably longer. Um, I was joking with the guys uh, over chat about I have a new like metric for how scary a movie is and it's how many times my Apple Watch heart rate monitor goes off. <laughs> and it was still going off after I finished the movie. That's that's how much it had me going. So uh, props to it for that, for actually genuinely scaring me. Um, and yeah, for having a very layered emotional story that was told in 90 minutes. It's the best thing about it. It's only 90 minutes. Yeah, I know yeah. we're a big fan of the tight 90 on, mm -hmm. on this podcast sometimes. I'm, I'm probably the most forgiving person, I think, like maybe on the podcast for, for longer films. But yeah, so yeah I thought for... it was really great, really refreshing. And um, the child actors, too, really stood out. Like, I was very impressed with the acting, and especially given how gory it got in certain places. Well, um, I I think you guys covered most of what I had to say about both of these two films. I will say I think The Post Exorcist worked best when it was more Spielberg slash The Mummy than a straightforward, this is The Exorcist, you know, homage, like, supercut. Um, like, I genuinely, like, if they were going to make a sequel to this, lean all the way into that Mission Impossible, we have a team, like, to go to these different sites like i want that movie like i don't i don't care about like uh you know trying to say anything too profound um i did think the messaging was 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 good and it was handled pretty well in the film but yeah just give me the the team like it, it kind of evoked um i don't know if anyone here has seen john carpenter's vampires but it kind of reminded me a little bit of the sort of ragtag you know they're part of the catholic church kind of but they're vampire slayers but they're they, they party and they're they're a little more like rough around the edges not to that extreme but um i did get that vibe just a little bit which was a lot of fun from from russell crowe agree he carried the film and uh last thing i would add is i could listen to ralph uh, innocent like read a soup label that guy's got the most amazing voice he voices the demon but you know, he's been in films like the green knight and like uh the witch just an amazing amazing voice um as far as talk to me man i just i cannot believe like how much originality there still is in horror filmmaking and novels it's just it blows me away that people can still make something as creative and original as this with how long that genre has been around and it seems like you know for every franchise sorry if you like saw but like like saw that just won't die like you have stuff like this that comes out and it's just it's mind blowing. I, I was just, I was enraptured. I thought the setup was amazing. The conceit was great. Um, and uh, makes perfect sense that YouTubers, like I, I looked up the directors, they're, they're YouTubers. They have a YouTube channel that was like horror comedy and to, I guess, get enough money together and, and to, to put something out like this just goes to show that great horror ideas can come from anywhere. And, uh, I just, yeah, this is one I'll definitely be watching it again. It, it reminded me of the same like kind of feeling that I had the first time I watched it follows where it was like, this is such a cool, simple, amazing premise for a horror film that just works. Like you can just stick to this very simple, but no less compelling idea. Uh, yeah. The makeup effects were so gross. Oh my gosh. Um, wonderful, wonderful, wonderful and gross. Um, the way that 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 kid looks in the the bed, like after he's been all like bashed up, was just like I, I kind of wanted to look away. <laughs> That's not usually something that um, I do with horror films. It just it it was very realistic. So um, yeah, 
enjoyed it. So I think we're, I think it sounds like we're all pretty much unanimous on how we felt about the films, which is a lot of fun. So these are possession films. And as I said, at the top of the show, uh, the horror genre is very diverse. And I think this is a really good example of how you can have the same sort of subgenre within horror and um, do something completely different. So I want to talk about uh, the possession itself to start off with like, and, and just namely how that is, handled and kind of compare and contrast and discuss how you guys feel about that uh in in each of the films so i'm gonna go kind of snake draft style and go to may first and uh any thoughts that you have on how possession like the concept of possession is handled in each of these yeah so first of all i don't you don't need this to like make movies like Dexter's is scary but I do feel like it's scarier if you have a heavily Catholic or like certain type of Christian background mm. and I I don't at least in that regard um so like I've never like really been all that scared by like the original Exorcist or like movies in that genre generally um that being said I do feel like what really stood out about the way possession happened and talked to me was that it didn't have a specific religious basis. It was just kind of this new set of rules that was contained within the film itself, instead of being something you kind of would have to know from your religious background or culturally um, to understand with a film like The Exorcist. And I feel like that off the bat made it stronger, just that it kind of adhered to its own internal rules of how possession works. Um, I also appreciated that both films kind of broke those rules in different ways, or at least muddied them. Like um, the Pope's Exorcist, or it's you know originally just possession of a young boy and the demon trying to get let in to Father Amort, and then you know suddenly the demon's taking over another child, and they find out oh this demon can possess multiple people, and doesn't even have to be invited in. Um, it's a great party trick, I guess you know. <laughs> <laughs> And like, there's all this other stuff happening that isn't directly caused by any of the possessed beings, just kind of like stuff getting thrown around or um, things like that. And like, it's it's different from the original Exorcist, but um, in some ways, um, it just kind of seems like not not wholly earned to me. Um, Whereas in Talk to Me, I love that it's made clear that the reason things aren't following following the rules is that they made a mistake basically in holding on to the hand too long and it's just uncharted territory no one knows exactly what happens there except that one guy you know went and killed tried to kill his brother and killed himself um so i feel like that adds to the terror too is that they don't explain what happens when that happens in the universe no one knows and so that adds to the horror of trying to fix it later Overall, I think I like the possession better and talk to me just because it was like new and different. But I do appreciate how the Pope's Exorcist tried to kind of go above and beyond, at least the original Exorcist. I'll admit I haven't seen the other Exorcist movies, but um, I've seen other films and shows where that's a a, a thing or a trope. And um, I do appreciate the attempt to raise the stakes. It just didn't quite work for me. I would say that I think it's interesting, the idea that a demon can possess more than one person, since it usually is just isolated to one entity. I guess in this case, I mean, at first it was a, it was like a young boy at the beginning of the film, right? And then it sort of like transferred into the pig, maybe for like a second. So I like the idea that it 
can move, but I'm also, I guess I question, and this is for me also sort of like looking at it from the, the religious aspect. And I kind of want to know, like, if there's a rule book for that kind of thing, <laughs> give me sort of like the guide to what demons can and can't do. And does this follow that? Or is this just sort of like, you know, also taking liberty with, uh, with Hollywood and, and that whole thing. But because for me, I'm like, why doesn't the demon just like immediately go and possess somebody else? Or if the pigs did, wasn't why doesn't he just jump back into the kid? But then that's me probably nitpicking a little bit too hard about demonic possession. Um, and talk to me. I like that. And I apologize if this has been done before. For me, it was the first time I had ever seen the option where somebody was permitting whatever spirit was out there to inhabit them like giving that permission it's like consensual to do like possession yeah. in a way like i don't know if that's the right word you use but kind of yeah yeah there's a slightly similar thing in haunting of Bly manor but that's okay. the only other place i've seen it yeah for me it felt kind of like when you're letting a vampire in you know like you have to invite them through the the threshold um so yeah i liked I like that aspect of it. I thought that was interesting. And I also like, too, that they think it's just, like, spirits of dead people. And then it's sort of like, well, I mean, it could be. But there's kind of this this feeling, one of the characters even mentions, like, sometimes they sort of, like, try to convince you otherwise. Like, there's something that they're not. And you're like, okay, I got it. So don't really trust anything that you see from the other side. Because it might be a representation of somebody who's passed. Or it might also be somebody who's trying to trick you so i like that aspect i liked the that added a little bit extra sort of terror growing dread about what's going to happen toward the end and also then sort of reaffirmed to me what happens to the the brother at the beginning of the film that we see that we don't really learn much about until about what two-thirds end where um like the first kid who we see who's been affected by this and i am blanking on his name but please hold talking about the one in the beginning that shoves the knife forcefully yeah i want to say <laughs> yeah i want to say it was ducket because it's it's cole and ducket i think are the two brothers and cole yes. may, maybe cole who's going to the party to find his brother ducket yeah and so when you see ducket and you see all the scratches that are on his back and you hear what he's saying you know about like it's not the real you or it's not you know like just sort of understanding how his uh, perception of reality has become twisted by that. I, I appreciated that having sort of that little aspect of maybe you don't really want to play with the, with uh, the spirits that may want to come and have a chat or do a little bit more than that. So, but yeah, that's pretty much all I've got. I really, I really like talk to me. Like I'm what do you think about that movie for days, man. That was great. I love I thought the talk to me possession was um, was really unique um, in possession movies because of what um, uh, because of the consent, because of the shared kind of shared power there. Like the the kids have the ability to to uh, invite the possession and that as long as they have their friends around to, to, um, to cancel it, you know, to end it. Whereas in uh, the Pope's exorcist and, and more traditional possession movies, 
the demon comes in uninvited and you cannot get rid of it um you know without the the special interference of of the priest so so i thought talk to me did that in a unique modern way and and really well and it was fascinating to to get the um the background story on the hand um and and you know how the the rules kind of came about the colon ducket thing i i didn't understand in the beginning why we were uh cutting from that to this other story and and it had me worried honestly the the whole like you know first 15 minutes of the the movie had me concerned that that we were going to get these these little vignettes that didn't really connect to the rest of the story later uh the colon ducket thing and the kangaroo thing um because it took a long time for those pieces to kind of fall into place um but they eventually did and and i thought they did that extremely well um on uh, uh the pope's exorcist the uh the thing um what will mentioned about the the pig that i assumed was tied back to a new testament story where uh jesus casts a demon from a guy and the, he asked the demon its name and its name it says its name is says we are legion i think uh so you know he has all these demons possessing him and uh jesus forces the uh cast the demons from the man into pigs and the pigs go insane and run off a cliff and kill themselves so i assumed that that uh um uh the priest's name is uh blanking on me now but i assumed that the priest was yeah yeah i assumed that the that that was kind of a callback to that since we're in this you know biblical realm he casts it into the pig kills the pig therefore you know the demon is is vanquished um so it it was a much more traditional take but i did I did appreciate the the kid, um, the kid's portrayal of being possessed. Just the look of that actor, you know. There, there's a kind of haunting around his eyes, anyway. But when he has that angry look on his face, and with the the makeup and and the uh, uh, the dubbed voice coming out of him, I I thought that was incredibly effective in a way that. Um, that Reagan in the exorcist couldn't have been without the makeup. Yes. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Like, um, I think the makeup adds to it, but, um, he's scary. And, and as you said, sort of haunted already, like, um, <laughs> in his appearance and he's got a lot of anger. Like he's able to twist his face and do these really, really great grimaces and kind of nasty expressions. I have right. nothing to do with the makeup. It's just, it's how he emotes, which is really cool. Sweet. Well, um, I will say probably my favorite thing about the Pope's exorcist, uh, demon and the possession angle, like altogether was, I love that he had a plan. <laughs> like it's not often that you see like a demon with like this kind of world ending, like master plan. I thought that was really kind of cool and, and subversive 
that instead of just causing some chaos and causing a little bit of suffering in a familial unit, he's like, now nah, I'm going to infiltrate the church and really, really wreak some havoc, which is uh, neat. And I think that's kind of a callback to the Inquisition again, where they're they're wanting to cause the mischief, right? Um, so I thought that, that was really, really cool. Uh, one of the things that I was kind of hoping for a bit more of, or maybe not even that, like I thought the film was going to go a certain direction, which is... Is there going to be ambiguity on if these people are actually possessed or not? Like, because the opening scene, I think, was a little bit ambiguous. And he, he discusses, you know, hey, mental health is going to be important for 95% or whatever it is in these cases. I give them what they need in the moment. And then we give them to a, a mental health professional to get the long-term care that they need. So I thought, okay, is the, is the film going to be then this where you're trying to work out and then the little eye thing behind will happen? <laughs> and I was like, oh, no, no, there's no ambiguity whatsoever. He's possessed, like absolutely possessed. Um, but hey, I appreciated that. I think um, that was totally fine, the direction. I just uh, I kind of called it wrong a little bit early. Uh, talk to me, man. Yeah, like the, the fact that it is a TikTok trend and I like that they kind of, almost portray it like teenagers doing whippets sort of where there's this euphoria and they're kind of addicted to the idea of not just for like the views and the trends, but there is a sort of feeling that they get from doing it that um, makes them more and more inclined to, to want to, to do it over and over and over again. So I thought that was kind of neat as well. Um, portraying it as almost like an addictive drug in a way or like almost like an adrenaline chase i guess um i was surprised by some of the funnier moments with the demon possession the making out with the dog like <laughs> i was just like oh my gosh um but uh yeah ultimately i think like i, I have to give the nod like not that we're really having to choose between the films but i think that um unbelievably unique way to handle it um everything from the the hand which is very monkey paw-esque to me for some reason um this weird talisman that nobody knows where it came from um i mean it'd be funny if it was just like a macy's like mannequin arm that somebody like <laughs> scribbled on <laughs> it's cursed we don't know why but uh yeah i was kind of curious if like you know what the origin of that thing was like i don't know that i needed the film to explain it but it was kind of cool to wonder like i want like where that may have actually come from and to have sort of a mystery there um yeah that's that's what i got so um the next thing i wanted to talk about is both of these films kind of sort of leave room for a franchise or sequel so kind of a two-part question um would you want a sequel to either of these films, both, neither? And then if so, what would you want that to look like? Um, and that's going to tie into our game a little bit later on um, at the end of the show. I I will say in general, I, I prefer standalone movies um, and not even when there are good sequels. Um, you know, I mean, there. I'm not saying all sequels are are bad, or there can't be a sequel as you know as good as the original. I love Superman two, for example. Um, but I I prefer standalone movies, and um, 
uh, when they mentioned the 199 others, I I actually was clueless about that. I didn't get the same impression that they were setting up sequels that just kind of went went past me. But it makes sense. Um, for talk to me, the the only reason I would want a sequel to that is to find out if anybody ever let Cookie out of the closet. Because Aww. the poor dog was thrown in a closet and was we see him scratching to get out and then never again. <laughs> that actually that was the only loose end not tied up in that movie. Uh -oh. And uh that kind of bothered me, but uh you know. Oh, thanks for breaking my heart. Uh appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even think about that. Cookie. <laughs> What happened to Cookie? I want a deleted scene. <laughs> <laughs> I think the Pope's Exorcist can stay where it's at. It doesn't need a sequel. I did think it was kind of funny. I think mostly because it felt kind of campier toward the end of the film that I thought, oh man, they they could and they might because money. But I I mean, I don't know. On the one hand, would I watch Russell Crowe play that character again? Probably. I would probably pay money to do that um is it necessary probably not uh, <laughs> so i think for that i'm okay with it not being not having a sequel uh i do think if they do a sequel to talk to me i'm kind of torn too because i'm sort of where isaac is at where on the one hand when you have a really good standalone film you don't want to mess with it but at the same point, if you have something that's a compelling story that you think adds to the universe or adds some layer to understanding what's been going on, then I guess it's worth a shot. I mean, <laughs> I would kind of like to know what happened to Mia afterwards, like what the experience might be like from the other side. Like we just get a little glimpse where, yeah, I mean, spoilers obviously for the podcast but when she is dead at the end of the film and then touches the hand from the other end you know to, and then we find out where the other hand has been at or generally speaking i guess where the other hand that it is out there um i'd kind of like to know how that interaction would have gone and i don't necessarily know that it is necessary but i feel like it would be interesting maybe more just for her character arc and for all the trauma that she's gone through, if there's any sort of, I don't know, adventure that she could have from the other side to find closure. Um, but I don't know if that could be the case or how you would do that. So it would be an interesting idea, but I don't know if that would be something they would go with. Or if it would just simply be, well, we've got the other hand. Now we're going to have sort of a spinoff story about how people deal with it in this other location. Or did they actually destroy the hand that we saw for most of the film? Because they were talking, I think, at one point about how, like, oh, there's like a real human hand that's buried under underneath all that covering. And I, I can't remember the name of the character that mentions, like, you should just burn it, just burn the thing when they're finally deciding to, like, be rid of it. So I kind of want to know what happened to that hand and uh, as well as the other one that we see. So i could i could see it going either way i think more so because i'd like talk to be so much if they can keep that good you know juju going then i would give it a shot but who knows 
You just got to get the two of the hands together and make them arm wrestle. That's that's what you do. <laughs> just put them on a table. Put them together and then somebody says, talk to me. And then I let you in and see what does that like create like a, I don't know, some strange vortex. Yeah, it's uh, going to be like the Ghostbusters crossing the stream. <laughs> like, I don't know. Event Horizon go through like a gravity well. And yeah. <laughs> I'm also not a sequel slash prequel person, generally speaking. Uh, especially with an indie darling like talk to me it's like nope this this movie has a dear place in my heart now I really don't want like Will said anyone kind of messing with it Um, even though I still feel really bad for Mia and like had that same urge for like closure with her character at the end of the day sometimes the horror story is just sad (laughs) and scary (laughs) and you don't get that closure you know Um, and as for the Pope's exorcist kind of want sequels to like hate watch while getting drunk and eating popcorn but not really. <laughs> if i were gonna pick one of these two films to have to do a sequel it would definitely be the pope's exorcist again provided they lean all the way in like give me the guy in the van like you know with the <laughs> crucifix hanging from the rear view like on the radio um you know just lean all the way into it which i know is not like this is a real man um but i don't care like i, I just want basically like russell crowe as that as uh father of morth like doing ghostbusters style like um <laughs> shutting down all the the evil portals sure i would watch that uh for talk to me um i definitely don't want a sequel or prequel this is the one that like i don't know why i have this like sneaking suspicion that if this like, continues to gain popularity that they could almost do something like Annabelle-esque of like, here's the origin of the the hand is like a C- our prequel <laughs> film. And then like, you know, here's a sequel where like it, it's, you know, moved to another place and country. Here's a new group of, you know, characters. And uh, I think I'd really hate that. But um, unfortunately, I think like one of the negative aspects of horror as a genre, particularly in cinema, is that like it's very bankable. Like you can make it for cheap and they tend to clean up and make a ton of money. So I wouldn't be surprised, but I, I would also wouldn't want it. I think one of the things that Talk to Me does really well, I don't know if I mentioned it was like the restraint and sh- like having to show you every five seconds, like whatever horrible thing that somebody's seeing, like you get little mm-hmm. glimpses of it, which is cool, but I, I like that a lot of times you don't know what it is that they're seeing or looking at. I think that's really amazing. Gives the actors some, uh, some work to do, which is great and allows your imagination to fill in maybe some blanks, um, which is always appreciated, I think, in a horror film. Uh, provided you have an imagination. Maybe some people don't. And they're like, what is he seeing? What is she seeing? Ah. Um. All right. So I guess... I have a unique question to each of the films. I'm going to stick with talk with me for a second um, and ask you one at a time. Would you do the thing given the option? Would you do the thing? Would you invite it in? Would you, would you do, would you, well, you could almost go like, yes, I would say talk to me and like, look, but I wouldn't invite it in. So Isaac, uh, I'll start with you. (laughs) I would definitely say talk to me. I cannot imagine myself ever saying i let you in um just because i i really don't like to be out of control of myself um you know uh 
I'm not one that's that's ever really like been into substances or anything like that because for that reason I I don't like feeling out of control. Um so yeah, I would I would want to talk to whoever's over there, especially if like in Mia's case it was someone I had lost that you know I needed I I thought I could get some closure with. Um I would definitely say talk to me, but yeah, no way would I let it in. <laughs> Fair. I'm going to be lame and say no to both. <laughs> yeah, there's no wrong answer. Man. <laughs> uh, I'm going to pass. I'm going to be like, I think her name was Jade. I'm just, I, I'm going to leave the room. <laughs> That's perfectly fine. I mean, I understandable really given the circumstances. <laughs> I don't think anybody saw anything they really enjoyed on the other side. Like nobody seemed like they they seemed grossed out or like I don't know intrigued. I think all the crazy stuff, the funny stuff happened when they were possessed. And I'm with Isaac. I don't want to lose control of my body. So yeah, that's I think that's where I'm at. <laughs> um, I would absolutely say talk to me. Just because I, I do think like the idea of talking to the it's very interesting. And in this universe, I'd be a, a total skeptic until I saw something myself. Um, so I would absolutely say talk to me. I I wouldn't say let me in, but if the spirit said let me in, that would be interesting. Kind of like what happens with Mia towards the end of the movie. Um, I would I would do that. I would possess the spirit. Reverse Uno. yeah Yeah, that was the wilder to me like things like you know it's one thing to let something go like but i almost think it was scarier to get a glimpse of whether that was real or an hallucination it it did not look enjoyable or fun i was gonna say may may is much braver than i am i would never want to see that what uh what mia saw absolutely not (laughs) yeah I think yeah, it'd be get... interesting and I would get to keep my bodily autonomy. So it's a win-win. <laughs> There's some things I'd rather not know. I think is how I feel about that. But um, so I would definitely say talk to me. And I think um uh, letting the demon in would really depend on who I was with. Um, so I'm gonna treat it like psychedelics, which like I've done before um on several occasions, and say that like it very much is who who I'm you know hanging out with. If I trust the people and like I know you're not gonna fuck this up, you're like you're the cutoff was what 90 seconds, like 45 is when you're gonna start trying to rip this thing off of me, like um just to try it once, you know what I mean? And um I think it would also probably depend on like knowing my personality, what I saw happen with other people doing it. And if it looked like it was too risky or scary. So like when doors start slamming and all that shit, like I probably like, I would be like, nah, I'm good. If it's just somebody like acting kind of goofy, like, okay, like maybe, but I think the minute like it looked dangerous, I I would probably nope out and be like, nah, I'm cool. Awesome. When you start bashing your head against the table. Then you're like, well, yeah, that's yeah, like, like <laughs> that's way beyond. <laughs> where um, I think I would like, I would probably move like countries at that point and be very angry at my friends for convincing me to do that. If, uh, if I saw somebody, um, go through something as traumatic as that, but, 
Um, yeah, I thought it was kid, kind of an interesting question. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. That, I'm sorry. That uh, that kid who played uh, Riley, by the way, in that scene in particular, just absolutely blew me away with the, mm-hmm. you know, bashing his head. And well, in, in every scene that that uh, that he had to do stuff like that, because he did it in the, the hospital, too. But, you know, plucking at the eyeball and. Ugh. But not just that, even when he um, was just communicating with Mia as her mother and and you see like the tear, um, you know, roll down his face. I uh, that kid deserves an award. That was an amazing performance. Yeah. Shout out to Joe Bird. Yeah. It's almost like the physicality that like a screwball comedy like, you know, would require. Um, and I don't say that disparagingly. I mean, like, yeah, I'm thinking like just the physical prowess of somebody like Donald O'Connor and make them laugh and sing it in the rain, which we've talked about, or Charlie Chaplin or, you know, any, any of those greats of like the silent film era that really had to sell comedy in a physical way. Um, similar kind of talent where like the way he moves his body, like sells that trauma and that like just um I don't know. It, it adds to the horror in a way that I think um, by contrast, watching somebody fly across the room in the Pope's exorcist, like just like I'm numb. Like when I see something like that, I'm just like, oh, like demons powerful. Cool. <laughs> it doesn't land the same way as uh, seeing seeing that in um, talk to me going over to the Pope's exorcist. Speaking of which, um, I, I'm curious, like, so like Marianne and I were, were talking um, about this uh, kind of between watching these, these films, like uh, in between, like having a break. What do you think your personal threshold is in believing that something like, like w- at what point are you going, there's something otherworldly. I believe that this is beyond of this earth and like rolling with, I don't know, like somebody maybe in a religious authority, like, and sort of believe believing, I guess, and and trying to roll with it from a beyond the realm of Earth. Like, what what would it take for you? Uh, may I'll start with you. Like, what, what, where's your kind of threshold for something like that where you think you would actually believe? See, I'm not religious at all, so I feel like I I could see the the two pupils moving and be like. That's a really interesting mutation you have there. Have you, uh, <laughs> have, you have you contacted the Guinness uh, Book of World Records because you have a record-breaking number of pupils? <laughs> yeah, I feel like it would take a lot for me to finally ad- admit we should call the Vatican. Yeah, I don't, I don't know what my breaking point would be. Probably something like levitation. Once I made sure it wasn't like a prank, I feel like anything that could be just a really weird health thing i would excuse it's just a really weird health thing but levitation is hard to fake if there's no wires yeah what, what are you talking about i can float just fine i do it like on sundays when i want to have a big stretch you know before getting up <laughs> <laughs> um yeah i mean i feel like that's that's pretty fair indisputable like floating on your own it seems like a like a pretty solid basis of all right there's something supernatural happening I'm going to have to go with the example in the film where uh, I guess it's probably when kid's name is Henry, right? The little boy, I think. That's right. Uh, when he's in bed and Father Esquibel goes to talk to him and then gets his ass like thrown across the room, out the door, into the hallway. 
I think at that point, I would buy it. <laughs> I think when somebody who is very tiny throws somebody who is substantially larger than them, like in an action move, uh, something something strange is going on. So maybe a little bit sort of like levitation, like you said, but superhuman strength, abnormally superhuman strength, especially in children. <laughs> It's funny because like that early phase, like my Marianne and I were like, uh, like this, he's basically like, we're like at that point in terms of escalation, he's basically like a kid in a Fortnite lobby, like just like talking shit, <laughs> you know, like he's mainly just insulting people. I was like, this isn't too scary. I mean, he's just like, you know, saying <laughs> nasty, nasty things like, and then of course he escalates eventually, but I am, uh... I'm very, very skeptical about uh, physical feats and, you know, manifestations, things like that. I I adored uh, magic tricks when I was a kid. So I spent a lot of time, you know, trying to figure out how they, they knowing that they weren't real, trying to figure out, you know, how they worked. I'd, I would, I, at one point in my life, I wanted to be a, a special effects guy um you know and that never manifested but uh, but i i've always been interested in in how did they do that how did they you know make it look like that was happening so so the physical stuff probably no matter what happened would not convince me but the moment that that the possessed person was able to reach into my mind and pull out something that no one knows uh, no one could possibly know. That's the point I would probably be convinced. I think that is also a very fair assessment um, because it has absolutely nothing to do with uh, the world of like the the physical. And I mean, especially if it's something, you know, you've never uttered out loud or thought about. Um, yeah. Uh, I, I'm somebody I think like who so desperately wants to believe in things like i don't but like i desperately want to believe in things like aliens and ghosts and demons and possessions that i'm not sure i'd be like bought in right away but i feel like i'd be pretty open-minded into like trying to pair healthy skepticism and trying to rule things out while keeping an open mind i feel like i'd have a pretty open mind early on um depending on what was happening like for example, like having words appear on the body. Like I know, like that's something that supposedly has been documented and sort of explained away. I'd still be like, okay, like maybe, maybe let's let's see, like like how possible something like this is. Vocal changes, things like that. Uh, definitely with Will on the levitation and Isaac on the babe. You you plucking something from my brain. I, I'm gonna tend to believe that um, there's a little bit something more going on here. And hey, last but not least, before we transition to uh, switching up the order a little bit here, and I might intercut it, we'll we'll still do a side quest for Isaac. I didn't forget about that in our game. Uh, I just wanted to kind of open it up. If there's anything about either of these movies that anybody wants to talk about, like throw it out there. I'm I'm all for it. So kind of just a little bit of uh, freeform jazz. Um. Yes. So it, it talk to me. I was wondering if anyone had noticed. If the hand at the very end, because I know, Willie, you were mentioning that it looks like they found the other hand. Was that hand right or left-handed? I was trying to remember, because that would tell you. 
I was thinking about it too, and I couldn't. Like as soon as I mentioned it, I was like, "Which hand did she reach out with?" And I'm like, "Shit, now I gotta go back and watch I got it." Fr- again. I got frustrated for not realizing <laughs> until like the end. Like, so I don't know. Okay. You can see behind Will actually, like um, the oh, the, the, the OG been... one. Yeah, yeah. So... right. So maybe it was the other one because I think it was her left hand. Well, Maybe. Uh, then there would be that one then it if be, it is. Yeah. yeah. Oh man. No, I just talked myself out of it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So we all just need to rewatch it immediately. Great. Yes, all right. Yes. <laughs> um, I just wanted to give it a shout out for its score as well, especially mm. the um I, I really wish I looked up any of the composer, but um the music during the kind of like montage of possessions over and over again at Jade's mm. house, like that is such a snappy song. It like fits the mood perfectly with being just like a little bit playful, a little dangerous. It's just, I, I love the music for this film. It's well done. Agree. Yeah. It was kind of like hip hoppy, like in like certain portions and it, mm-hmm. it felt the youthful vibe of like what they were going for, for the movie it wasn't just strings and you know like the classic horror of like low bass sounds and shrieky like strings i feel like is kind of the go-to i do have a question for the group um which mom would you rather be (laughs) would you you rather deal with it as sue from uh talk to me where you're not involved in what's going on and you expect like the worst of people like doing drugs and like uh just like assaulting each other or (laughs) Or would you rather be like in uh, in the Pope's Exorcist? Would you rather be Julia and be dealing with it and possibly getting caressed by like some demon while you're trying to sleep? Like ignorance is bliss, uh, maybe in that. <laughs> like less stressful to be the one that thinks it's just drugs and stuff because you probably feel like you have some manner of control and safety with, all right, son's in the hospital. He's severely fucked up, but he's safe now versus i don't know the pope's exorcist where you're you you get two priests and they just go flying out the door <laughs> like you're like well shit i i think i tend to agree with that i think i would rather be the mom and uh and talk to me that that is oblivious you know she she has to deal with uh much more physical trauma with her her child in the hospital there but uh but yeah, at, at least she's not experiencing everything that uh, that the mom and the Pope's exorcist has to experience. I'm going to go against the grain and say I would actually rather be the mom from the Pope's exorcist just because of the aftermath. Like we know the kids make it out OK at the end of both films, go through a lot. Yeah, but they make it out OK. Um, and the Pope's exorcist, it's like she has like a new faith in God now. Yay. Whereas in Talk to Me oh this kid that she trusted and let into her family tried to kill her son and like um i'd be dealing with all these trust issues the whole family probably is dealing with a lot of trust issues and confusion and and long-term trauma without that kind of like new hope or faith in their lives so i i'd I'd rather just be blissfully part of the catholic church now (laughs) because exorcisms work i don't know (laughs) (laughs) It certainly would take a lot of the stress out of everyday life, like kind of having some affirmation on like what's what in terms of life after death and good and evil, you know, Uh, shout out to the mom played by Alex. So it took me a minute to figure out where I knew her from. And it was two things. 
Um, so like Midnight Mass, um, she is the aging mother who like slowly kind of like Benjamin Buttons like with the the communion, mm-hmm. right? Like that's all I'll say about that. So I don't ruin that. Um, and then she also um, to bring it back to what we discussed in last week's episode. Uh, she plays Wendy Torrance in Doctor Sleep, which um, she does a great job nice. standing in for Shelley Duvall. Um, so uh, I, she's a great, great actor. I know Mike Flanagan likes to use her a lot. So I thought she did a pretty good job in Pope's Exorcist as well. I was going to say, if we're giving a shout out to moms, man, then for uh, Talk to Me, Miranda Otto, who was, uh, oh gosh. I want to say it, but now it's like I can't remember the. Yes, yeah, yeah. I was like, I need my Lord of the Rings reference because <laughs> I couldn't play. I was like, I, I, it was the same thing. I'm like looking at the face, and I'm like, I've seen you before, but what have I seen you in? It's been so long. But yes, so thank you. She's also in the Sabrina <laughs> reboot, which what? I that I know. It's <laughs> great, solid, fabulous. Um. <laughs> Well, hey, th- thanks for talking uh, possession films. Uh, that I mean, really a pretty good one-two punch. I think, like you know, it's it's nice sometimes to do a double feature that's not complimentary and that you're getting kind of two sides of the same coin. I, I like ha- I liked having two. Uh, I kind of wish I'd done the reverse order. So I don't know what order you guys watched it in, but I did Pope's Exorcist and then Talk to Me. I wish I'd done it the other way around. <laughs> so I was just very disturbed and on edge. And I think I would have had more fun um, and maybe like ease down a little bit if I had gone the other way around. But <laughs> I don't regret but, the order I went in. I That's what, I don't what did regret you do? that order. I did that order and I don't regret it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think I, I don't think I would have been able to sit down and watch another horror movie after talk to me. So <laughs> that's a fair. Yeah. My biggest regret is I didn't see that in a theater. I bet you that was great in an audience like uh, setting. Yeah. I, I really, really regret missing out on that. Well, uh Isaac, would you like to do a horror theme side quest, sir? Absolutely. Absolutely. All I right. think I'm ready. Let's see what we have in store for you. And. Ooh, okay. So it is a category called that's going to leave a mark. And (laughs) (laughs) this is talk about a film that gave you nightmares, shaped your life in some way or had a otherwise lasting impact. Ah, well, I've mentioned fright night on just about every podcast i've i've ever been on um but that one that one that's my favorite vampire movie you know that i've and a comfort movie that i've gone to over and over but a movie that left so much of a mark on me that i only ever watched it one time on cable and and i've never dared to watch it again was um communion i almost lost Mm -hmm. the title of it there um which was based on um uh whitley streber's uh book and and allegedly his his true experience with an alien abduction that movie i i saw it on cable i think in the the late 80s i was still a teenager it was either late eighties or, or early nineties in which I would have been close to still a teenager, but I was watching it late at night, you know, all the lights off 
in the place. I was the only one home and the abduction scene in there just completely freaked me out. And I've never been able to, to go back and watch that one again. So, so if, um, if any movie left a mark, it was that one. That's really interesting, man. I, I will confess I'd not heard of it before. The The one that I, like always comes up that I've also not seen is uh, the Fire in the Sky. Is that right? Am I mm-hmm. getting the title correct? Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's uh, that's really interesting. Like, I feel like alien abduction doesn't come up a lot or enough, like in my opinion, for like for horror stuff. Like the other day, somebody uh erroneously put that they watched the arrival instead of arrival like the denis villeneuve <laughs> and i was like oh the charlie sheen film like damn i remember that that movie was wild and um that kind of had similar like elements of, of horror but i think alien abduction is kind of a cool unique and maybe like a little untapped um do you remember like what it was about the alien abduction that freaked you out so bad in that uh in that film you can do light spoilers it's okay i it was it was the look of the there was a what I remember, and like I said, I've only ever seen the movie one time, so this could be my head, you know, filling in things that I thought I saw that weren't there. But um, what I remember is one of those shots that are are common now where it's the perspective is as if you are lying on a table looking up at these creatures looming over top of you you know as like you're on an operating table and the the uh the aliens had you know kind of a a traditional grays um look to them you know that you see in like close encounters and things like that but um but i i don't know the eyes and and the the shapes of these these slightly humanoid but not really things um just looking over you and you powerless to get away um you know or do anything about it just just completely freaked me out i'll have to find a clip and maybe put it in here as you're describing it to uh (laughs) supplement the the video episode a little bit because now i'm kind of curious um to see that I did pull up Google images and those, those are scary alien designs, Isaac. I'm not, I'm not surprised that's how you felt about it. <laughs> yeah, I, think, I just uh, looked it up as well. And I had actually forgotten that it is uh, Christopher Walken who stars mm-hmm. in that movie. I did see that on the the cast list. Yeah. Um, so I'm curious then like in a more like secular earthbound sort of train of thought that follows um things like i i don't know uh, if you ever watched like alfred hitchcock presents but there's a really great episode of that that stephen king then did a short story as like a homage where it's joseph cotton gets into the car crash he's paralyzed from the neck down the medics think that he's dead because it's i don't know the 1950s and everyone's bad at medicine apparently and um (laughs) he is like in the morgue hearing them and seeing them like all around him about to like cut into him. And I won't like spoil like what happens, but that is a very, like that always really bothered me. Like um, I saw it as a kid. 
and then years like later again in college when I, I bought like some of the DVD box sets. And of course, when I came across the King story, I think he had like a little epilogue where he talks about the inspiration. Does that freak you out in a similar way? Like something like that, where like the idea of being sort of paralyzed and aware, but unable to do anything? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> I, uh, as a matter of fact, when, um, um, I mean, I've already mentioned I'm a big fan of the Christopher Reeve Superman movies. And when he got paralyzed, my immediate reaction uh, once, well, once they they uh, uh, created his foundation, I mean, that's that's where any extra money I had went for a while because I was like, he has to walk again. I don't think I can stand it if if he oh. never walks again. And un unfortunately, he he didn't. Although um, there there is talk now that uh, that he actually was making progress in that uh, that area when he passed. But uh, but yeah, and there's um, you talking about the the Hitchcock um, episode there. I never saw that, but there is an episode of Tales from the Crypt that is very much uh in a similar vein it stars bo bridges uh where he and his brother and i, I cannot remember the the actor's name that plays his brother but uh but they are um they're doctors or researchers or something and they de uh, one of them develops a serum that if you inject it at the moment a person is about to to die it creates the illusion of death and just stops everything. And then, you know, um, uh, you're later able to bring them back. Um, and he tests it on his brother without telling him he's doing it. Uh, and almost the entire episode is, is from the paralyzed man's perspective as all these things are being done to him to prepare him for, uh, uh, you know, not really his funeral, but for his autopsy and uh, yeah. and things like that. So, yeah, that's horrifying to me. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like also like, you know, an homage to the same thing. Lost kind of did something similar, like with one of the like weird like they got there was like a season where people complained that they didn't get enough of like what the other like characters were up to that were on the plane. And there was somebody I think they're bitten by a spider or something and they end up getting buried alive like. Um, oh, wow you know but uh yeah i i've never been a big fan of that so thank you for linking that to the like alien abduction because i've always found it to be like i said a little bit untapped um and obviously like there's the uh invasive part of it and like just the, the abduction part of it that's scary but like thinking about it from the perspective of yeah like you like you could you're aware but they're doing all these things to you and you can't stop it is like whew, creep factor of uh 11 out of 10 for sure all right. Well, with that, let's uh, let's play um, a little bit of a, a game. It's not really a game so much as a, it's it's a collaborative exercise. So I told you earlier in the episode, teased what this might be about. Um, I've alluded to the fact that horror genre uh, franchises are some of the most lucrative ever in the history of filmmaking. And the task I've set out for you guys i'm going to give you five franchises in no particular order and i want you to do your best talk amongst yourselves give me your thought process to rank these in terms of most lucrative to least lucrative okay um so inclusive of all films in the the franchise there is one that um 
like to be fair like and i'll explain like it is not um it doesn't have to be just one specific iteration not like or not iteration but like take on this and i'll explain so in no particular order here are your franchises it the conjuring which would be inclusive of the annabelle films and whatnot dracula so this is not just the hammer films or you know like the classic lugosi it's like all dracula films halloween so the michael myers halloween and you know any i I would say halloween 3 probably counts in that as well and then alien so that's your no particular order i want you to try to rank those from most profitable to least profitable so talk amongst yourselves <laughs> hmm i'm feeling like halloween's got to be up there at the top i would i would venture that that halloween and dracula would be would rank near the top mm-hmm. because dracula i mean like james bond there's been so many movies over so many decades yeah. you know how could it not not be up there yeah are are we talking about like just theatrical box office lucrative or like dvd sales it's <laughs> a good question so let me and merchandise look at... <laughs> this is from Com- this is from comic book reader um so let's see if they qualify because that changes my answer it just says highest grossing um, horror movie franchises. It does not quantify or sorry, qualify if it's box office or like DVDs based on the list itself. I'm going to say it's probably just we'll stick to box office. That would be my guess based on like, okay, sort of how it's how they're framed and discussed. Okay. I feel like it is higher than I think it should be because rationally I would put it towards the bottom because it's only two, well, more than two movies because it's the older movies, but not that many movies. Um, it's funny because I would have put it at the very bottom, but really, yeah, could be. <laughs> I just feel like because it's newer and like I knew people that went to see it that don't usually see horror movies. Okay. And then there's the original one too. I'm just talking about the remake. Yeah. While I would very much like to have Alien be high up on this list, I feel like it's probably lower to the bottom, just especially with all the prequels that are, we're talking like everything. So like prequels, movies that have come out since then that have added or detracted. from. And we'll give you a hint, like, or okay. something to consider. So like none of these have been adjusted for inflation. So um, something yeah. you may want to consider, like I'm not trying yeah. to steer you in one direction or other, but as you're looking at it. So maybe hmm. if they haven't been if they haven't been adjusted for inflation, it may be higher than we think, because Mm -hmm. I think the the first movie was was just, you know, astronomical in uh, in box office. I don't know about the second, though. Yeah. And then there's the I, I don't remember what year it came out, but there's the old version of it, too. Was that one or two movies? Uh, it was a it TV would... miniseries, I, so oh. like there would not be box office receipts probably okay. for that. Yeah, it was a two night event. Gotcha. 
So are we thinking that it is higher than maybe third. Yeah. After uh, what were the two you said would be the top? Isaac, Dracula, and and Halloween. Like, yeah. yeah, like in that order: Dracula first, Halloween, and then it. Yeah. Okay. Cool. And then maybe Alien, <laughs> and maybe The Conjuring after that. <laughs> I'm afraid to say that I think The Conjuring might have beaten the Alien franchise. That's kind of what I was thinking too. Like it's just the yeah. sheer number of films that have. Oh man, because Alien, Alien is such a classic, but yeah. uh, a lot of people know it through other people and through clips than actually yeah. having gone to see the movies. Nice. Yeah. Okay. So are we thinking Dracula, Halloween, It, The Conjuring, and then Alien? That'd be my in. list. Yeah. yeah. I'm cool. One with more that. time. So I can I can put your guesses. And this is <laughs> most to least, right? Just to make sure you guys are giving it to me the way that you're intending. So he can uh get tell us we're all wrong. I was gonna say it's it's whatever you have on your paper in front of you, Chris. That's the answer, and that's what we went with. <laughs> <laughs> so just making sure you guys are locking it in. So what do you think the most uh, lucrative is? Dracula. Dra Dracula. Okay, and then next, Halloween. Halloween. Okay. Next. It. Okay. Next. Uh, Conjuring. Okay. You guys agree, Conjuring. Mm -hmm. I, I right. don't want it to be that but I do agree it probably <laughs> I'm leaning on YouTube for everything but it it's the only one that I have uh, strong feelings about <laughs> so that would be the alien then you think is the least profitable out of the five for a franchise term. okay yeah it saddens me but yeah okay so um <laughs> you guys were 100% correct in that it is the the third, like that is the oh. middle uh, franchise um, on the list. <laughs> Noise. Um, so it has grossed, the, just the two films have grossed one point, almost $2 billion. So $1,173,474,976 uh, to be exact. So well done there. Um, <laughs> However... <laughs> you had the... us in the first half of that 100 percent right <laughs> that was yeah evil. i think i wanted to give you some good news like um the highest grossing film on this list i'm going to kind of like tease this a little bit uh franchise is actually the conjuring so with eight films total uh most of them within the last decade the conjuring has has brought in uh, two billion one hundred thirty-two million five hundred forty-three thousand four hundred forty-eight dollars, and is the wow. the king of uh, horror franchises currently. And this list is from August of twenty twenty-three, so I'm going to say that's like recent enough to like I'm I'm cool with it. Hmm. Um, so the least profitable in terms of box office receipts is actually the Halloween franchise what? with. 13 films wow. and uh, a measly, and I'm saying this sarcastically, $877 million, 128,000. Like, um, so wow. despite being one of the more prolific franchises, not always box office gold. I imagine That's probably wild. some, some of those like late eighties, early nineties films probably contributed to that. 
um, maybe some of that underperformance, but still pretty impressive. I mean, eight hundred seventy-seven million dollars, and I think especially when you consider the cost to profit margin of the original is like one of the most impressive, like independent, uh, you know, films ever. So, um, with that, I'm gonna g- let you guys guess what do you what you think where you think. Uh, so we've we've covered three. Where do you think Alien and Dracula are gonna land now that I've given you some context? You want to change anything? So we have the second and the second to last spots available. I I would flip them now. <laughs> yeah, I would swap them now. <laughs> yes, alien. Yes, taken. You you guys would be correct in doing so because the Alien franchise at eight films has grossed one billion six hundred fifty three million dollars. Um, yeah, and of course more on the way so that Ooh. is bound to go up um i think there's two projects going on at least Chuck one Chuck. film maybe a tv show um yep. so as a franchise that's not going away anytime soon and hey if it's as good as prey was oh, i say keep, keep them coming mm-hmm. uh and then that of course leaves us with dracula which according to this list 20 films uh, eight hundred ninety-one million nine hundred seventy-three thousand seven hundred sixty-three dollars, inclusive of I'm sure everything. This is from thirty-one up through the the Hammer films, and they even counted Van Helsing in this list as being the single biggest earner at fifty-nine million dollars. Wow! At least we were right about it beating Halloween. Yeah, we you were. That's good logic. That's sound logic. There. I like how you likened it to James Bond too, because now every time they recast Dracula, I think there should be a similar like passionate debate that they have with Bond. Like, oh, that would be get, awesome, actually. Yeah. Get Idris Elba and his Dracula. Come on, get him in. Yes, <laughs> do it. Oh man. All right. Are you guys curious to uh, just really quickly to hear what the other uh, five franchises were to round out the top 10? Yeah. Sure. Why not? The ones that we didn't mention. Uh, so at nine was Paranormal Activity with seven hmm. films and $890 million. The Scream franchise with uh, six films, $906 million. Believe it or not, like I would have never thrown this on the list like this franchise, but the Hannibal Lecter franchise at five films 924 million dollars which is kind of wild Mm -hmm. and then you probably could guess these other two so saw at Mm -hmm. nine films uh just over a billion dollars and finally resident evil at 10 films uh 1.2 billion dollars <laughs> uh, uh, so our old friend paul sw yeah. whatever <laughs> my man he puts asses in the seat man uh, or maybe you know um it, it could be he's married right to um yeah, like, yeah. so yeah. it might be a combination of the of the two but she's great in those yeah. well that a that wraps it up. Um, thank you so much for joining us, Isaac. On um, next week's episode, we are going to be talking about Creep. That is the confirmed film. We'll have a uh, special guest, Grant, on who is a horror fanatic. And he says we're in for a treat with Creep. I looked it up. It looks like it is a, a Duplass brother uh, project. Um, I've not seen any of their fictional stuff. I've only seen The League and then uh, Wild Wild Country, which is a great documentary. Um, But he uh, says we're in for a treat. So I'm very excited for that. 
And then, um, of course, we will be putting out a poll so that you lovely audience members can decide what the second film in that double feature is going to be. Isaac, before we go, uh, please um, tell us a little bit about this upcoming book tour that you're you're doing and anything else that you'd like to plug. Yeah, there. Uh, it's a, a virtual uh, book tour uh, that uh, that's going to be happening this month. Uh, I've got a, a a PR guy that uh, that handles that stuff, and and he does a fantastic job. But uh, I'll be posting links to uh, to blogs and um, uh, interviews and things like that throughout the month as they uh, as they arrive, um, and. You can find me and anything you need to know about me at my site, uh, isaacthorn.com, and that is Thorn with an E. Fantastic. We will post a link to that, of course, in the episode description. I can personally vouch for how amazing your your work is. Uh, Hellspring is a great Halloween book, as I found out, uh, much to my like dismay and joy <laughs> last, uh, <laughs> last year. Uh, really, really fabulous read. And uh, I'm excited to check out the Gordon place um, for one of my Halloween reads this year. Uh, Thank you, Will. Thank you, May, as well. Thank you, audience members. You can find us at X, uh, or I should say on X, at ScreenQuest Pod. And uh, I think perhaps it's time that we start branching out to other social media networks if the current state of X is any indication. But we'll keep you posted on that. (laughs) And until next time, we love you. Bye. Bye. Bye, guys.